Well, welcome to the Opium Den. I'm your host, Daniel Williams. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. Hope to put together a pretty good show for you, but we'll see how that works. Um, <clears throat> today on my uh, on my uh, website, I blog that uh, been getting a lot of news. Marijuana has been in the news a lot lately, so I thought, you know. <clears throat> started thinking about what uh, what about all the guys out there guys and girls I guess men and women hopefully no boys and girls but uh, what what's going to happen to uh, to all of our marijuana merchants if we were to uh, legalize and and control the sale of, uh, of marijuana so I thought you know will it uh, will it put them out of business will it help their business so I I put out a an all points bulletin I guess on my web page to uh, for drug any, any uh, marijuana merchants out there that uh, felt comfortable enough to uh, give us a call and and uh, talk to us about that subject well I I did get one one email and uh, this gentleman didn't identify himself and that's okay but he gave me a phone number and uh, I haven't tried it or anything I didn't call him back to verify I thought I'd let that happen with uh, with everybody here tonight. We can either get somebody or get a prank call. But anyway, we're going to uh, later on. We're going to give that uh, that individual a call and see what he thinks about uh, legalizing marijuana. And so we're going to have kind of a marijuana themed uh, show tonight. It's been in the news a lot lately, um, for better or worse. Usually for the better. But today, um, Arnold, Governor Schwarzenegger, uh, he seems amenable to reopening a debate over legalizing pot. Um, I guess that's a, that's a good thing. Um, of course, we, we all have grown up watching Arnold Schwarzenegger be the big muscle-bound hero doing all the right things. But I guess when it comes to, to pot, he's still a bit timid. Uh, this is what he was quoted as saying today. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, governor of California. Well, I think it's not time for legalization, but I think it's time for a debate. I think all of those ideas of creating extra revenues, I'm always for an open debate on it. And I think we ought to study very carefully what other countries are doing that have legalized marijuana and other drugs, and what effects did it have on those countries? Well, that was a quote from Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger today. So <clears throat> it sounds like he's being a you know progressive about this, but let's look back into uh, Arnold's past and see how uh, timid or aggressive he's been on the uh, marijuana issue. Um, you know, it says you know, he probably had a he had a very casual attitude in the beginning, and he was uh, if you remember his um, his uh, movie called Pumping Iron, that was done back in 1977, uh, before Arnold had any dreams, I believe, of being uh, a politician, and he was uh, in that film Pumping Iron. He was uh, shown uh, very happily and joyfully uh, smoking a joint. So that was his uh, position in uh, 32 years ago, 1977. And then as, uh, in, as recently as uh, 2007, 
he told a uh, British magazine, they, you know, someone like our, our GQ, Gentleman's Quarterly magazine here in the States, uh, he was quoted as saying, and this is a quote, this is not a drug, it's a leaf. Well, there you go. So just two years ago, he said it wasn't a drug, it was a leaf. But then uh, the governor's uh, spokesman, uh, one Aaron McClear, says here, oh, Aaron downplayed the governor's comment as a joke at the time. So I guess in uh, 77, he was really happy to be smoking a joint. And then in 2007, he said it wasn't a drug, but it's just a leaf. And then I guess it seems uh, he was only joking. So uh, I guess we can give a few kudos to Arnold for um, at least taking the, uh, the politically dangerous, I guess. I don't think it's that politically dangerous, but taking the, uh, the political move to uh, start talking about pot. But, you know, he's not the first and he's just a senator and there's a lot going on. But um, one, one, one interesting uh, aspect of California's effort here. Uh, there's a California assemblyman by the name of Tom Amariano, a Democrat out of uh, San Francisco. And many of you may know that uh, he has written legislation to allow the legal sale of marijuana to adults 21 years and older for recreational use. And that's, uh, that's nice. I mean, we're not focusing or staying on the medical marijuana approach. But uh, this assemblyman's bill would charge cannabis wholesalers, uh, now commonly known as uh, drug importers, uh, he would charge cannabis wholesalers initial and annual flat fees, which, uh, you know, he didn't mention what those fees would be. And then he said retailers, or in the common vernacular, uh, drug dealers, retailers would pay a $50 per ounce tax to the state. $50 an ounce. Now, that comes out to uh, $900 a pound. So the state would take $900 a pound for every pound of uh, cannabis sold in the state of California. Now, you know, I don't mind paying a little bit for, uh, uh, for, the, for the right to smoke uh, pot legally, but this kind of thing, uh, some of these uh, economic schemes and models that they're putting forth on just how much money uh, we can raise uh, from taxi marijuana. I, I'm not real, real happy with that. Um, a $900 a pound tax before you can even, you know, you got to pass that on to uh, to the user. So it's going to still, if it, you know, $900 is what they got to pay just in tax. Figure they pay another three, four hundred dollars for the pound. So they're looking at uh, twelve or thirteen hundred dollars before it even comes to you and me and whoever else may be interested in smoking some illegal weed. So that's still the cost there. When you break that down, it's still going to be uh, pretty expensive. Um, and I think that's going to be, uh, you know, not a hard pill to swallow for many, but I don't think it's going to uh, give people the idea that uh, growing is no longer a smart option. So I think we'll be seeing similar uh, situations where uh, a commodity is, is overtaxed and then you're going to see uh, um, some uh, uh, you'll, you'll see some uh, smuggling and uh, 
and uh, dirty business going on in the marijuana trade, legal trade, just as you see in, uh, in the tobacco trade. You know, you could buy a carton of cigarettes in Virginia or one of the least uh, taxed tobacco states and then drive them up to uh, New York, say, uh, New Jersey, and sell them for $40 a carton. So you're going to see uh, there's a, only a certain amount of price elasticity to this whole uh, economic scheme. And, and, I, and I've, I'm on record as saying that uh, I don't believe we should uh, look to uh, cannabis as being a pretty big uh, tax, uh, tax, re tax revenue stream. And, and the reason I say that is, a, is twofold. Um, one, the, the, the marijuana business in the United States is now estimated to be roughly 40 to $50 billion a year. And that's, you know, even in today's, uh, today's talk, that's a lot of money. But you have to understand that that $50 billion a year business uh, under a controlled marketplace, uh, that, uh, that, that uh, number would shrink dramatically because a lot of that 50 billion, 40 to 50 billion is just the uh, prohibition tax. Uh, you can grow some pretty, uh, pretty good uh, cannabis, uh, actually very high quality hydroponic, um, beautifully cured weed for, uh, you can grow this for about 350, $400 a pound. So I'm not so sure unless they continue to uh, you know, end up, end up paying that we end up paying the same price then as we pay now, um, that, uh, that revenue stream is going to, going to shrink dramatically if they're talking about a 10 or 15 or even a 20% tax. But some of these, some of these schemes are enacting a tax to, uh, in, in, that would in effect make pot uh, as expensive it is now, as it is now. And yes, I understand, uh, it'll be legal, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be real happy paying uh, $450 <clears throat> for an ounce of, uh, of the same pot that I'm buying now because that's what I'm paying for it now. And under a legal, a legal scheme, uh, I think there's going to be some resistance to that. I don't think the elasticity in the price of a legal pot is as, as great as these guys want to do it. And, and here's the thing. It's like for 40 years, They've been chasing us down, arresting us, throwing us in jail, ruining lives, turning us into criminals. So they, they, you know, they've been beating the shit out of us for 40 years. And now it seems like they want to continue to beat us even in, under the guise of allowing us the freedom to, to smoke pot. They're going to beat us over the head with the tax. So we should keep that in mind uh, when, we, uh, when we give all the gratitudes and the like to all these politicians out there talking about uh, making pot legal, but just you know, taxing the fucking shit out of it. But anyway, that's uh, that's enough on Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and California. Other other parts of the of the news, drug news this week, we have uh, Gil Kurlikowski. Mr. Kurlikowski has been confirmed as our newest drug czar. Now, Mr. Kurlikowski, in his previous job, before he got uh, promoted or demoted or whatever is going to happen to him, but in his previous job, Mr. Kurlikowski was the police chief in um, Washington, the state of Washington, Seattle, Washington. 
and he replaced Norm Stampler, who many of you know is one of the uh, founders of uh, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. But anyway, this Kurlikowski fellow, he, uh, he took over when Norm retired in Seattle, and uh, he's got a fairly decent record, but it's all based upon following whatever the law is or was. So, when, you know, if the laws are harsh, it looks like Kurlikowski would have been more than happy to uh, enforce a harsh law, but the laws in Washington and the Seattle area were fairly uh, fairly commonsensical, so he followed the law. So we can, we really can't expect anything uh, creatively to come from Kurlikowski. He's just going to take his marching orders from uh, from uh, President Clinton if he gets to talk to President Clinton. They've taken the drugs are out of the uh, is no longer a cabinet position, which I think is uh, is worthwhile to note. But we'll see just how much. Um, influence and uh, impact uh, Gil Kurlikowski will have as our new drugs are. Now there's an interesting an interesting sidebar uh, to the uh, Kurlikowski um, announcement and uh, you know many of you know this but uh, maybe many of you don't. Mr. Kurlikowski in one of his previous marriages adopted a young son, a young boy, uh, Jeffrey. And uh, Jeffrey Kurlikowski um, is now 39 years old, and Jeffrey Kurlikowski is in I'm in a Miami jail for uh, violating his parole. And his parole came after a conviction and serving his time for, among other things, some uh, uh, minor uh, drug charges. Now, also, when you read the uh, the information on uh, Jeffrey Kurlikowski you'll find that uh, he's not a real typical uh, stoner type of a guy because he was also charged with uh, battery and uh, cruelty to animals. So uh, we can't say exactly what those are. I mean, cruelty to animals uh, is, is a wide range. You know, he could have blown smoke in the cat's face from a joint, and that could be considered cruelty. I don't know, not that I recommend that. But the idea of, a, of a assault and battery... Uh, it's not uh, it's not a good thing for Mr. Kurlikowski. So we have a new a new drug czar, whose son has been arrested, convicted, did time, and now violated his parole and is back in jail for, uh, as I mentioned, my other charges, his his uh, drug convictions. So <clears throat> you you would think that Mr. Kurlikowski, Gil Kurlikowski, our new drug czar. Since this has been so upfront or up close and, and personal in his life, I don't know how long uh, Jeffrey was actually living under Mr. Kurlikowski's roof. As I said, it was one of his previous many marriages. But I think he was uh, married to the boy's mother for <clears throat> enough time to make an uh, impression on his young adopted son and kind of put him on the path of straight and narrow. So now we have, as I said, we have Gil Kurlikowski as our new drugs are. So one would think, one would think that uh, after such personal and, and long-term exposure to, uh, to uh, what can happen in, in, his, uh, in his personal family life with drugs would give him some insight on how to, uh, how to perform his tasks as the, uh, the new, uh, new drugs are. 
Uh, again, his personal views may not be uh, may not uh, show up in policy, but you would hope that uh, they would have some influence on uh, uh, President Obama. But <clears throat> speaking of President Obama and drugs, um, you know, aside from the fact that uh, we all know he snorted coke and smoked pot and by all accounts enjoyed both back when he was a young man and uh, <clears throat> doesn't seem to uh, you know remember very well and uh, it's just it's just a surprise that uh, President Obama is not being more forthright on the issue of drugs he knows how uh, destabilizing drug prohibition is he's seen the the ruin in the urban areas and uh, uh, and he's a constitutional lawyer as well, and he, I'm sure he understands that uh, drug prohibition not only is unconstitutional, but it's uh, a pretty silly thing to uh, to keep enforcing. But as candidate Obama, he said a number of interesting things with regards to the drug war. In essence, he said that it was uh, the wrong path and uh, it needs to be restructured. Uh, he also said that he would uh, end any federal federal involvement with, um, by the DEA and any of the states that have medical marijuana laws on the books. And he got off to a slow start there, and the few people that were uh, arrested in, in those states are now inside the criminal justice system. Their life is somewhat ruined. Their business opportunity has disappeared. So I guess, you know, better late than never. Thank you, President Obama. But also, uh, candidate Obama said that... Um, he favored uh, the exchange of clean needles for intravenous drug users as a way to uh, stem the spread of hepatitis and AIDS. And I got, obviously that's a very uh, commonsensical um, idea. It's not, uh, it's not uh, his own. It's been, it's been made uh, for years. So it was encouraging that he said that uh, he favored the clean needle exchange. But... Today, he made a big deal of announcing that uh, uh, David Orsag, his, his uh, money guy, had uh, gone through the budget and there were 121 programs that he either wanted to uh, scale back on or eliminate completely. And it would save all of us taxpayers a grand total of $17 billion in uh, President Obama. Uh, hasten to add that even in Washington these days, um, $17 billion is uh, a lot of money. But uh, a closer look at the budget and the items that did not change, again, going back to Kennedy and Obama favoring a clean needle exchange, now it uh, is his budget that he's put forth. It expressly, expressly, says no federal funds will be used to initiate or uh, support any type of clean needle exchange. So here we have a candidate Obama and a president Obama, and a lot of people are disappointed, but uh, I'm not so much disappointed, and I'm not really even, even surprised. It's, it's a shame that here is our most, most out of the, uh, I don't say, I guess out of the closet on drugs, who is uh, turning out to be uh, no uh, less a drug warrior than all of our presidents since Richard Nixon started the drug war or proclaimed his drug war in 1970. 
So I'm very disappointed in President Obama on that level and, and several others. I'm not real crazy about all the money that we're spending. I don't think many people are. But as it relates to the drug issue, um, he is not, uh, he's not, shown out, not shown to be the, uh, uh, the fellow that many of us hoped he would be with regards to drugs. Now, <clears throat> I mentioned uh, in last week's show or recently that I wrote an article uh, saying that medical marijuana was the wrong strategy for moving the drug debate forward. And, uh, you know, I, I took a lot, of, a lot of shit for that, and that's okay. But uh, a couple of the people who wrote in said that uh, I was being hard-hearted and naive and that this bill that uh, Senator Jim Webb from Virginia had uh, introduced uh, was the Trojan horse. He's, he, Webb is uh, Obama's Trojan horse on the drug issue. Obama can't come out and spend any political capital beyond the drug issue because it's just too controversial. I guess that's more controversial than turning our car companies over to the unions. But in any event, um, I was held, I was uh, taken to task for uh, rocking the boat, so to speak. And I was told not to rock the boat because Senator Jim Webb was going to get this whole thing handled for us. So I don't know if many of you are aware of what uh, Senator Webb, from uh, Democrat from Virginia, uh, what this whole National Criminal Justice Commission Act of 2009 actually is. And in a nutshell, what it is, um, it's a study of the criminal justice system, and there's a lot of emphasis on on the, uh, the drug issue, but it's, it's a little more encompassing than that, although I believe drug prohibition is a serious enough of a problem that it should have its own uh, commission and not be commingled in with other, uh, other issues. But anyway, the National Criminal Justice Commission Act of 2009, um, actually it's Senate Bill 714, SB 714, which I find uh, <laughs> pretty funny because if, uh, if, if any of you are old enough to remember Quaaludes, which was the, uh, the love drug of the uh, early 70s and then took off in the late 70s and early 80s, but the, uh, the one drug that uh, everybody did was the uh, rower uh, 714. So now we have a, a Criminal Justice Commission Act to study drug prohibition with the numerical designation of one of the most popular love drugs of the uh, 70s <clears throat> and early 80s. But anyway, that's just a mild coincidence. But what isn't a coincidence and what, what, what bothers me the most is that this, uh, this commission is going to uh, be, go on for 18 months. 18 months they're going to study this issue. You would think that uh, if they paid attention to history and more recent history, it wouldn't take more than 18 days to get the idea that uh, drug prohibition is a pretty cocked up uh, way to do things. But anyway, this commission is going to uh, run for 18 months. Now, Senate Bill uh, 714 hasn't even been enacted yet, so it's probably going to take a couple of months for that. And then you've got the commission that runs for 18 months, and I don't expect any of these commissions to, or this commission to uh, shorten its time. But 18 months, and then the commission wraps up, and it takes another month or two to get the report uh, out and for the general discussion. So what you have is basically a 24-month 20, time frame. Now, <clears throat> What, what, what I'm outraged about, aside the fact that it's an 18-month deal and Blue Ribbon Commissions rarely 
have any impact at all. I've been around uh, watching politics since 1968, and I've seen many a Blue Ribbon Commission come and go. Most of them are designed just as stalling tactics. And uh, whether they're good or bad, they're routinely ignored. So we're going to have eight, we're going to have almost two years of, you know, checking out, investigating all of what's wrong with drug prohibition. And like I said, what, what, what infuriates me the most is that during that 24-month time frame, close to 2 million Americans, most of them young, close to 2 million Americans will be arrested for the simple possession of marijuana and placed inside that same criminal justice system that Senator Webb is investigating. So I've spoken with a couple of folks that, uh, you know, some you know, well-known names in, uh, in drug policy reform. I spoke with Chris Crane, who is the executive director of, of SSDP, uh, Students for Sensible Drug Policy. And I also spoke with Ethan Nadelman, the executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance. And I asked them both what they thought of that thought of the commission, thought of the length of time, but especially the fact that over that period of time, uh, close to 2 million young Americans will be arrested and, and thrown into that criminal justice system. So I don't want to tell you what they said, but I will, I will uh, direct you to the archives uh, button on my website. And if you hit the archive button, it'll take you to our, our shows and interviews, and you can download and listen to what Chris Crane of SSDP and uh, Ethan Nadelman of the DPA, Drug Policy Alliance, had to say about the uh, 2 million or so, close to 2 million young people that will get arrested. I asked them both if they considered them uh, just collateral damage in the war on drugs while they uh, sit back with bated breath and listen and wait for the web report. So... That takes us, uh, takes us to about the bottom of the hour here. And uh, we're going to give our, our marijuana merchant a call. We'll see if, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll see if he's the real deal or not. And if he's not, uh, we'll, uh, we'll read a couple of these, uh, these emails here. So please, if you want to uh, comment on anything that I'm saying or uh, what, you th what your thoughts are about uh, legalizing marijuana and what that what that's going to do to your own personal marijuana merchant, uh, give us a call. The number is right there on the, uh, on the website or send, uh, send me an email at daniel at theopiumden.net. Uh, throw your question or comment on there and give us your phone number and uh, we'll give you a call. So we want to hear what you have to say about this and uh, we're hoping that those out there uh, will give us, a, give us a shout out and... Um, Send us an email. We'll give you a call. So, here we go. We're going to call our marijuana merchant or our supposed uh, marijuana merchant, and we'll just see if this is uh, for real or not. So, let's place the call and uh, hope he answers and hope he's for real. So, here we go. I hope he's real. Okay, we're getting uh, too many rings here. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Come on, answer the phone. 
Well, apparently, we're having... Hi, this is Bob. Uh, that was a voicemail. Well, <laughs> see, if you didn't answer the phone, you wouldn't have heard your name sounded. So here you go. Thanks a lot. And uh, uh, we'll try you again in a few minutes. <laughs> oh, boy, the guy didn't want his name mentioned, and uh, he lets the call go to voicemail. <clears throat> so there you have it. Uh, if anybody else uh, would like to... <laughs> like to identify or self-identify as a marijuana merchant and give me a call, um, that'd be great. And uh, if not, well, <laughs> that, that'll be okay too. So I got, a, uh, I got an email here from uh, Dan Rodigal, who is our crack technical guru, who is get, letting me do this on my own tonight uh, here in our little studio in Southwest Florida. So uh, I just got an email from Dan that says, uh, you sound great, which to me means that at least uh, we are broadcasting live and we're not having any problems. So we're going to give this, uh, we're going to give this marijuana merchant uh, another call and see if he wants to join us inside the opium den and, and give us his opinions on uh, what's going to happen to his business. I won't, I won't let it go to his voicemail this time. Maybe I should. Maybe we should leave, leave the son of a bitch a message and see if he's for real or not. But we'll see. <laughs> well, this is our first interaction with an actual, or supposedly an actual fellow. So, okay, he is not answering the phone, you prick. I think we'll just let your whole message go. Let everybody know who you are, but I shouldn't do that. There he goes again. So, <laughs> thanks a lot, my marijuana merchant friend, for uh, for putting me in the position where I got to come up with another uh, twenty or twenty-five minutes of just me. But we do have a we do have an e uh, we do have an email here from Patty. Patty, okay. Patty says, "I don't know any marijuana merchants." And it's got a question mark after that. And Patty the Marijuana Merchants is just a uh, uh, you know, sophisticated name for pot dealer. So Patty goes, I don't know any marijuana merchants, but I would think, but I think that if pot is legalized, they will go out of business. Okay, well, thank you for your comment, Patty. And uh, do you think they go out a bit? You don't say whether you smoke pot or not, but you think that they're going out going to go out of business. That's uh, that's the subject we're going to talk about for the next oh, 15 or 20 minutes before we call our marijuana merchant back. But um, so let's talk about that. Uh, will your local friendly pot dealer go out of business if we uh, legalize marijuana? So this is what this is what I think. I think that uh, depending upon how the the infrastructure is set up, um, on what model they use, I think that uh, a lot of our, our marijuana merchants out there uh, could prosper in a uh, legalized market. Number one, um, they know where all the customers are. So they've got a built-in advantage there of the people who uh, already smoke pot. And uh, those customers probably know other people that you know, buy pot from somebody else. So I think that the, uh, the marijuana merchants of today will, uh, will be able to, uh, 
to do quite well. I think they've got a foot in the business. And by virtue of that, they'll be able to uh, advertise in whatever form that uh, they're allowed to, whether it's on the internet and the classifieds or whatever. But um, if the uh, if the uh, the system, if the scheme is devised uh, with with uh, common sense and even a, a higher tax to begin with, but uh, if it's conceived uh, with common sense, I think that uh, marijuana merchants will will do quite well. Um, so let's <clears throat> let's let's try to think about what the uh, the market would look like. How's how's it going to look? Now, some of you have been to Amsterdam. Some of you haven't. Many of you under many of you know that their system over there. Uh, there are just a number of coffee shops. They're about spread out like Seven Elevens all over the place, and uh, just about any street you go down, you're not too far from uh, from a cannabis cafe where you can. Also buy, you know, some of them you can buy alcohol, some of them just juices and the like. But they're all over the place and uh, you walk in and you can buy, uh, I think the maximum you can buy is five grams at a time, which makes sense if you can, if you smoke more than five grams a day, you just go to a different, uh, a different coffee shop and buy your supply. But they're limited to selling five grams per customer and I think that makes sense. You know, in a regulated market, you don't have to hoard your pot. Uh, you can buy your uh, needs on a two or three day basis and get, uh, get a lot of variety. So I think that uh, the transactional uh, aspect of our, uh, our, our market here in the States will be very similar to that in, uh, in Amsterdam. But I think that's where the similarity is going to, uh, to end. Um, one, I think, but under some of these schemes, we'll probably end up paying more uh, for that five five gram packet than they do in Amsterdam, but more importantly, I don't believe their model of sales of sale and distribution is going to work over here. I mean, uh, still in Amsterdam, you can smoke in a lot of places, and uh, very few people have cars. Uh, a lot of people have bicycles. There, seven hundred and twenty-five thousand people live in the. Uh, this is a little sidebar fact, but. 725,000 people live in the, uh, in the area of Amsterdam, or live in Amsterdam proper, and they have 629,000 bicycles. So these folks are very serious on two wheels. A lot of people get around, go to work, do everything that they need to do, visit their friends on bicycles. And another, uh, another significant mode of transportation are the, uh, the trams. You can get anywhere uh, in Amsterdam very quickly just by riding the tram. So very few Amsterdamers, stoners or not, very few own vehicles. So they can smoke anywhere over there and hardly anybody drives. And that allows people to walk in, you know, smoke, get on their bike, get on the tram and, and go home and not be behind the wheel and uh, create difficulties in that regard. But here in the States, uh, you know, we drive everywhere and we can't smoke anywhere. So I don't think the cafe, the cannabis cafe, coffee shop, whatever, uh, that model will work here in the, in the States. I think what we'll see on, uh, what I would like to see at least, is that uh, the, the business stays structurally pretty much um, how it is right now. The only thing you're going to replace um, will be the, the cartels and the suppliers, the, the retailers like at the marijuana merchant we're trying to call that uh, that business should stay pretty much the same and i kind of think it's gonna the way it operates now is kind of like the the pizza the pizza business you can either 
uh, pick it up or have it delivered. And that's how the, uh, the uh, marijuana business is, is done uh, here in our country, with the exception, obviously, of the states where medical marijuana is legal and you can step in and view it under glass and drool all over everything. And if you have the proper uh, card, you can buy your pot. But every place else, so the other, the other states, there's only 13 states where, it's, where medical marijuana is, is legal. So we have uh, 37 states where uh, the market is, is the way I, I say it, is your guy will either deliver it to you or you'll go pick it up. So I think if we, if we can keep it in that, uh, in that mind, in that uh, type of infrastructure, um, that'll, that's how it'll be over here. Like I said, we, we're not going to be able to, I don't foresee having uh, smoking bars uh, like they do over in Amsterdam here in the United States because, again, you get high, you get in a car, and then you are just got a big red target on your ass whether you're driving properly or not. So I don't think that model's going to work. I think it's going to work the way it does now. Like I said, very much like the uh, the pizza business, either pick up or deliver. Take your pick. You'll call your your friendly marijuana merchant. Uh, find out what's on the menu today, and uh, tell him, give him your address, or go pick it up. What I do think uh, makes sense. Uh, a lot of these garden centers we have uh, out there. I think garden centers should be our uh, our growers and wholesalers. Um, they're set up for it and uh, they're all over the place. So I think that would be a, a smart place uh, for the marijuana to the cannabis to be grown. And you can, uh, they can pay X number of, uh, they can buy a stamp, pay a fee, whatever, to be licensed uh, to grow. And then people can uh, come to their uh, garden center and uh, you know, buy plants that are already started and grow and take them home and grow them, finish them up and harvest their own cannabis or, they may be able to buy uh, small transactional amounts at the uh, the garden centers themselves, but the garden centers would uh, would sell to the wholesalers, or the you know the street dealers, as this friend or not friend, but this one guy we're trying to call uh, purports to be, and uh, could work could work very smoothly. I, I I don't I don't like to see all the special exceptions that are being uh, being bandied about about marijuana. It should be just as easily and efficient as, uh, as beer um, as far as the, the, uh, the distribution channels and, and ease of access. Again, I don't think you're going to, you know, we're going to have any, uh, any coffee shops or cafes over here, but I think there will be uh, some you know, discreet smoking in some places, but as a general rule for retail, I think it'll be... Uh, more entrepreneurial than that, and uh, again, like the uh, the pizza delivery business. So, uh, if anybody has any any uh, thoughts on that, uh, give us give us an email at daniel at theopiumden.net, or if you go to my website, you'll see our phone numbers that you can uh, give us a call. So, we're going to press the uh, the call button one more time here and see if we can get our marijuana merchant on the phone. And uh, <laughs> if all else fails, we'll call Brian Bennett because he's always pretty good. Okay, apparently our man or me, our guy is not going to answer our her call. So let's give one big uh, fuck you to this guy and um, 
see what happens. Uh, uh, okay, he's dead. So, um, oh, an email popped up. We do have some listeners. Uh, this one is from John. Okay, John. Um, doesn't say where he's from. Doesn't doesn't show a phone number. But John says that uh, he, he says I he says Daniel, I disagree with the I disagree with the idea of not having cafes. He says uh, he goes on to say maybe not in the small cities, but probably in the big cities could have coffee shops. Well, okay, John, that's that's a good point. So let's talk about that. What would it be like in some of the bigger cities if uh, if coffee shops were allowed? So let's take New York City, for example. Uh, not too many people own cars there. Uh, they certainly don't ride a lot of bicycles like the people in Amsterdam, but they take uh, they take cabs a lot and uh, used to take a lot of limos, but uh, <laughs> those days are those days are gone for a while in the uh, Wall Street area, but. So let's think maybe big cities. If I if a big city has um, a good transportation system, um, very few uh, automobiles owned by the uh, by the residents, where maybe uh, maybe John's right. Maybe some of the bigger cities could have uh, some uh, coffee shops. Um, I like I like that idea, and it would be it would really it would really depend, I guess, on the uh, the local government and. Uh, if they were going to make that uh, make that happen or not, so John, thank you for that. Uh, I, I think there's probably some uh, validity to what you say. Uh, some of the bigger cities uh, could have um, could have uh, cannabis cafes and coffee shops. And now we have another email here. Oh, this guy, I guess it's a guy. Yeah, Mike. I think he's stroking me. He says, "Great show." <laughs> thank you, Mike. Uh, what do you think will happen with the quality if it's legal? And don't you think it will be a, uh, a, better, a better product with pure, pure strands? Um, he leaves these numbers, says, but you don't have to call, though. <laughs> okay. Well, nobody wants to talk to Danny tonight. You know, well, well, fuck it. So let's answer Mike's question. What do you think will happen with the quality if it's legal? Well, I think the, what will happen is that uh, you'll be able to buy all levels of quality. You'll be able to buy uh, commercial grade. You'll be able to buy moderate grade. And I think you'll be able to buy uh, a very high-end grade. And the reason I say that is that, you know, some people will say, well, gosh, you know, I'll just smoke the best pot in the world. Why should I buy the cheap shit if the best stuff isn't going to be that much difference in price? Well, that's assuming that there isn't going to be that much difference in price and, uh, Let's look at the alcohol model. We've got beer, wine, and, and hard liquor. So uh, beer is obviously not as potent as hard liquor or, or as potent as wine and hard liquor. And wine is more potent than beer, but not as potent as liquor. So if everybody wanted to get the same alcohol buzz, the only thing that would be sold is hard liquor. So I think in the, uh, in the uh, regulated markets, you're going to have a mild uh, pot and you're going to have... Uh, you know, medium pot, and you're going to have put your fucking seatbelt on pot. So, um, and all of them will be, uh, you know, of, of you know various uh, tastes and harshness and the like. But I would suspect that um, after a while, most people will see there really isn't that big a difference. Uh, you know, they might smoke a whole joint of the of the okay pot, but only need two puffs of the great pot, and and the buzz may not be all that significantly 
different. So I think that uh, the gravitation will be towards uh, of smoking the better pot. It's not going to be the same as a, a beer guy switching to uh, hard liquor as far as the differences in the alcohol buzz versus that uh, with cannabis. But I think initially you're going to see that uh, you'll be able to buy good, better, best, just like in every other uh, retail product. And so don't you think it will be a better product with pure strands? Yes, I think it will be across the board, Mike. I think it will be um, a better product, maybe not significantly better. I mean, you know, it's not just because it's legal doesn't make it mean that it's going to grow any differently or any more potently than it's being grown now. You're going to have your commercial weed and you're going to have your mid-level weed and you're going to have your, uh, your high-end weed. So um, that's what I think will happen in a, in a regulated market. Mike, I want to thank you for your, uh, for your email and uh, for listening. Hope you got all your friends listening with you as well and that you're, uh, you're enjoying the evening as only <laughs> marijuana can help. So um, I'm, going to take, uh, I'm going to take a risk here. I'm going to call this marijuana merchant back one more time. And uh, we'll see if he's there. If he's not, well, <laughs> I don't know if he's not there. What am I going to do? I can't go beat him up. I don't know who the fuck he is. But uh, let's see if he's going to answer the phone here. And if he doesn't, well, shit. I think we'll, we'll call Brian Bennett and see if he's home. I haven't heard from him since last week, but we'll see what's going on. Okay, this person is uh, not going to be there for us, so I really should let his whole message play, but uh, we're not going to do that. So he's dead. He's gone. Thanks a lot for nothing, my friend. So no marijuana merchants to talk to Danny tonight, so... What we'll do here, I think we'll just give, uh, we're going to give Brian Bennett a call. See if, uh, see if he's home. See if I can strike out <laughs> one more time. So it was program Brian's number in there. Boom, boom, boom. Skype. I love Skype. Oh, no, I got the wrong number. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's free. And, uh takes a while to get the number dialed in, but they got all kinds of neat stuff on it. And uh, again, did I mention that it was free? So we just about got Brian's number here. And we'll give him a call and see if Brian's home. If he's not, well, we're getting close to the end of my allotted hour, so we'll finish up with, with, some, with some kind of nonsense. Okay, Brian, are you home? Well, doesn't sound like Brian's home either. <laughs> Nobody loves me tonight. So we're going to give... Hi, you. Well, that's all for that, too. Another, another answering machine. Well, sorry about that, kids. I was really hoping to, uh, to get the views of, uh, of a marijuana merchant on what would happen to his business. Um, should we uh, legalize and put a market together for uh, a controlled market for the sale of marijuana. Well, let's see here. What the hell else we got going on? I do want to remind you that uh, we have um, in the archives some uh, pretty good interviews uh, 
we've got uh, Dieter Hagenbach, who was a longtime friend of, of Albert Hoffman, the man who created LSD. Uh, we have an interview with Nick Sand, uh, the legendary 60s chemist who uh, was responsible for producing what is still considered to be the very best LSD, uh, a product called Orange Sunshine. And I will attest to the fact that Orange Sunshine is the best LSD ever. It was the uh, first LSD I took in 1970. And uh, I never took any uh, as... I probably took some that was that was probably as good, but uh, I don't believe that anything was better than uh, than Orange Sunshine. So we got a nice interview there with Nick Sand uh, about his life as a legendary LSD chemist, and we have an interview with Martin Lee. Uh, Martin is the uh, author of Acid Dreams, which talks about the uh, the LSD experiments that the CIA and the Army, mostly the CIA conducted back in the uh, late 50s and early 60s, looking for LSD to become a, uh, a truth serum type drug. <clears throat> and uh, we, know, we all know that that didn't uh, work. And also in Martin's book, Acid Dreams, he talks about uh, the, the counterculture, how LSD uh, came in and uh, how all that works. So Martin Lee, author of Acid Dreams, is, is an interview that you might be interested in. We also have an interview with a Randall H. Miller, and Randall Miller uh, blogs uh, at the RandallHMiller.com. That's RandallHMiller.com. He blogs uh, off there, and he is a uh, very bright fellow, former Army officer. He's an expert on terrorism with, uh, with expertise in how um, Islamic terror organizations tie into the drug trade. Jamal, you want to listen to uh, Randall Miller, smart guy, good interview. And we also have um, an interview with Chris Crane, who is the executive director of, Sense of uh, Students for Sensible Drug Policy. And uh, in that same vein, we have uh, an interview archived with uh, Ethan Nadelman. And Ethan is the executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance. Uh, both those, uh, all the interviews are around an hour long, and uh, they're worth uh, they're worth listening to. And my first interview, which I which I'm most not most proud of, but very proud of, I'm proud of them all. Uh, the first interview was with Rick Doblin, and he is the uh, founder of Maps, and uh, he spoke to us about pharmaceutical ecstasy. So we've covered uh, ecstasy uh, at least once. We'll cover it again. And we've covered LSD a few times, and we'll cover that again. And we're uh, st starting to talk about uh, drug policy, covering drug policy. We're going to cover more of that. Uh, interviews that are lined up for the, uh, for the rest of the month. We have um, Alan St. Pierre, who is the executive director of Normal. He is going to be uh, uh, speaking with me this month, as well as Jack Cole, uh, Mr. Jack Cole, friend of mine, he is uh, uh, one of the gr main poobahs at the Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, LEAP. Uh, Jack will be uh, sitting down uh, next week uh, as well. And we have, uh, I'm really looking forward to, well, I look forward to them all, but I'm really looking forward to an interview with Danny Kushlik. And Danny Kushlik is uh, the executive director of Transform. And uh, Transform is in the United Kingdom, uh, Great Britain. And uh, 
Danny is basically the counterpart to uh, Ethan Nadelman of the Drug Policy Alliance. But uh, why I'm you know especially interested in talking to Danny is that uh, the debate over there is not on uh, medicinal marijuana or recreational marijuana. These guys are going uh, for full repeal of prohibition. So they have a broader agenda and they are they're having I, I believe greater successes than we are. Although the thing is everything is moving. Um, I don't want to say quickly, but it's moving faster than it's been moving uh, for a while. So I'm looking forward to the uh, to that interview with with uh, Danny Kuslick, and uh, that'll that'll round us out uh, for the month of uh, month of May. So um, check out those uh, those interviews. I think they're I think you'll enjoy them. And while you're on the page, um, help uh, help Daddy buy a new pair of shoes and click on Naked Truths, and you can. Uh, It'll take you to uh, a page with uh, about the book I wrote, The Naked Truth About Drugs. And you can uh, read the entire author's preface for free. And if you like it, then uh, you can buy individual chapters there uh, for 99 cents. And if you look at the, uh, the individual chapters, the first nine are all about, uh, each chapter is about an individual drug or a class of drugs. So if you want to, you know, get the uh, the naked truth about marijuana or the naked truth about MDMA or the naked truth about cocaine, you can get it for uh, 99 cents. Each chapter is a standalone on that first nine chapters, and the last uh, the last four chapters deal with more of a uh, my, more of the political side of it. Um, but um, so anyway, go check it out. Uh, the naked truth. Uh, read uh, read the. Uh, uh, author's preface, and if you like it, um, how about uh, maybe buying a chapter or two and <laughs> keep me on the air. Oh, now we got a return from, oh, this is another email from Mike again. Uh, what's, it says, what's your opinion on the savings of tax dollars to government regarding the billion spent on law enforcement and how will it treated in comparison to DUIs? Oh, okay, well... Mike's got his thinking cap on tonight. Okay, what uh, the, the savings of the government tax dollars? Well, that's where I think the greatest revenue is going to come from. Not so much the tax revenue from uh, taxing cannabis, the sale of cannabis, but the money that's the real money is in the amount of money we're going to save, the money we're not going to spend um, enforcing drug prohibition. There's where you're going to see the, a sea change. Uh, in the way uh, money is uh, allocated in our government. I'd prefer to get it back in the form of a tax rebate, but I don't think our uh, our current president is, uh, is interested in giving us much of our money back, although he says he is, but he says a lot of things. So uh, again, yes, Mike, I think that the big change, the real money is going to be in the money we don't spend enforcing uh, drug prohibition. And how will it be treated in comparison to DUIs? Well, my my uh, that's a good that's a good question, Mike. My belief is that um, right now DUIs are treated too lightly, um, and and there's quite a disparity in uh, in who gets the DUIs. If you're rich and get a DUI, you get a lawyer and get it busted down to reckless op, and life goes on. But if you're not a rich guy and you get arrested as a DUI, you don't get a lawyer, and if you at best you get a public defender, and you end up getting fucked and found guilty for a DUI, and uh, and it ruins your, not doesn't ruin your life, but it certainly uh, puts a tremendous strain on it. 
So my belief is we're not we're not enforcing our DUIs um, fairly or effectively at this point. But I, it's always been my contention that if we were to if we were given the freedom to consume the uh, the substance of our choice legally and without prescription and fear of arrest, I believe one of the one of the trade offs of that if we're giving that freedom. Along with that freedom comes a uh, significant amount of responsibility. Um, and under, under that guise of responsibility is my belief that uh, if, we're, if we're given the freedom to, to do these substances in the privacy of our own home or other homes and uh, not harm anyone, then if we, if we do these drugs and go out into the public arena, specifically behind the wheel of a car or a motorcycle or whatever, and uh, get pulled over, I think we should throw the book at ourselves. Um, that's the responsibility part. If, if they're gonna let me get high as a kite and do all my favorite drugs in the privacy of my own home or in other private settings, to me, it's, uh, the trade-off is worth it, that if I'm, uh, if I'm stupid enough and disrespectful enough of that freedom to go out into the public arena and put others at risk, and I get caught, then I deserve uh, the uh, full force of the law and not be able to, but whether I'm rich or poor, be able to buy my way out of that, uh, out of that uh, situation. So that's, uh, that's what I'm thinking there, Mike. Um, I hope that answers your question. And whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> Sorry about that. If anybody's still listening, that was quite the quite the noise. I don't know what happened to what made that noise, but but there it is anyway. So we're rounding up at the end of the hour, and uh, I want to thank everyone for uh, for uh, tuning in tonight. And there's that noise again. So I don't know what the hell that means, but uh, I'm not going to touch that. I'm not going to touch that button again. So. Um, Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we're going to uh, try to have. Uh, I think we're. I think we're going to talk about cocaine next week. So, anybody out there with uh, with a cocaine experience or two, um, let's uh, let's talk about that next week. And uh, we're also between now and next week. I'm going to try to find out if that uh, marijuana merchant guy was uh, was a real deal or not. So. Anyway, thank you very much for coming inside the Opium Den. Um, hope, you, uh, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I hope you'll come back next week. Until then, you've been inside the Opium Den. I'm Daniel Williams. Stay healthy and high when it helps. <laughs>